Welcome to the Operation Amigos podcast. We're excited to be here for another episode. I don't even know what number this is. We're not numbering them anymore. I think we decided, right? <laughs> so whatever number it is, we're excited to be here with another awesome episode and with another special guest. Today we have Williamson Sintel, who has an amazing story. Williamson, thank you so much for being here with us. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here, Williamson. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to read your bio here so people know who you are. Um, and this is kind of just a compilation of things I found about you. There's, there is so much, and I'm excited to jump into to talking to you about it. Um, as a survivor from the earthquake in Haiti in 2010, Williamson takes advantage of every moment, experience, and opportunity he has given in life. He moved to the U.S. to study in 2015 and met the love of his life. He has shared his experience in many schools and functions all over the United States and Haiti. His passion is to empower youth all over the world to believe in themselves. Through lots of hard work, he now owns his own small business and is also the founder of a nonprofit organization that empowers youth in Haiti. It's called Arise Project for Humanity. He continues to take trips back to his home country with his organization. In 2020, he was the winner of one of the winners of the Mars Shot Challenge, which had hundreds of thousands of entries, and you were one of three, is that correct? Yes, yeah. I was one of them. Um, he's also a husband and father and lives with his family in Utah. Um, so, Williamson, there's some of those things we're going to talk about, and we're super excited to, to, to jump into it. I actually wasn't going to bring up what it was that you had survived through at the very beginning, but um, it's just, I feel like... We have to start with that. I mean, that is just, I mean, we're not going to start with that. We're going to go back a little bit. But I feel like that was really a turning point in your life. So, but, but I kind of want to start before that. Yeah, Williamson, can we, can we set the stage a little bit? Uh, what what yes. you've done since that time has been great. But I think that, that it's important for us to understand what you were like before 2010 and, and know um, what some of your hopes and dreams were what you expected your future would be like before that earthquake happened. What, what was that for you? Well, I, I want to start with my parents. You know, my parents were the, the backbones of what I wanted to become in my life. I remember my dad came from a poor, poor family from the, the north part of Haiti. And he grew up in a, in, in, in a, in a space where he was the only one that, his parents could afford school for. He was the only one that can go to school because they didn't have enough money to send him to send his siblings to school. So I remember my dad was the one that has to walk for four hours every single morning to make it to school. Wow. And yeah, he has he had to walk walk every single morning to make it to school. And because of my dad's hard work in in his school. The founder of the school was able to ask my dad or was able to allow his siblings to come to school for free. And my dad was able to graduate from that high school and came to Port-au-Prince, move in Port-au-Prince to study in college. So while my dad was in college in Port-au-Prince, there was a huge organization who came to Haiti. They were looking for the best students so they can help them with with their dreams. And my dad was one of the top five people they were able to select. And since then, they helped my dad to 
go back to his hometown and build his first public school for the people of his hometown. And then my dad's journey was the one, the one that, that inspired me throughout my childhood to really understand the beauty of school, of education, because I had to go to school. Education was the, the door for me to make it in life. So I had to work harder. I had to learn harder in school. So it was all on educations going up wow. because I learned that that was the, the, the only way for me to make it in life was education was school. And I had to work harder in school. I had to, um, not only that, but stay on the right path, do exactly what, what I should be doing in order for me to succeed, to succeed in life. Yeah. Williamson, when you say that, that your father was growing up poor, um, I, I've been down to some countries in South America and in Central America, and the standard of living is, is different, I would say, than from what most people in the United States are accustomed to. Um, when you're saying that, are you saying that he was poor compared to typical standards in Haiti or poor compared to what most people in, in America experience? So, yeah, I mean, like, typically in Haiti, because, like, right now, while I'm talking with you, there are two kind of people that are really poor in Haiti. There are people who's living under two, two U.S. dollars a day. Wow. There are people who's living under 0. 0.5 dollars, like zero cents. Oh, my goodness. Not even one dollar a day. I'm telling you from Haiti, I'm pretty sure at that time my dad was 0. 0.3, 0. 0.5 cents, like 50 cents. Oh, my goodness. A day. Like my dad was was really poor, and his parents they never went to school, and for my dad to be able to come from nothing, came to Port-au-Prince, went to college, um, did part of his school in the U.S., and he was able to now have one of the best job in Haiti, and he was able to provide all of this education, all of this, um, all all of that for us. I mean, my mom was part of that too, but my mom came from a middle-class family. Like, she wasn't the type of, she wasn't part of, she wasn't the type of people where my dad came from. They came from a different family, different um, background, but mm -hmm. I, I'm so grateful for my parents because they, they taught me the value of education, so how, how important it is for me growing up. Wow, that sounds very familiar to me because... My, my dad's from Mexico. I think we've talked about this, that um, my own dad, his, his mom was a teacher and they were very poor as well. But she always, she always, always made it a point to tell him, school will be your ticket. You need to go to school. There were times where when his friends would be quitting to work because they needed to work to support their families and she wouldn't let him quit because she said school is the way that you're going to make something of yourself. So that, that, uh, is something I heard a lot from my dad too. So, um, will you tell us about the day of the earthquake? Tell us about what led you to be where you were. Um, it's kind of a miraculous story. And so, yeah, will you just kind of take us through that day and how it happened that you came to be in the building that you were in? Well, I, 
I I can clearly remember I was in high school. I was I was in school. I was sixteen at that time, and I remember that day. It was a Tuesday, January twelfth, two thousand ten, and my mom, she was at work working. So usually in private school in Haiti, I grew up going to the private school in Haiti. That's that's exactly what what my my parents they were able to provide for, and they they had. They were fortunate enough to send me to private school. So in private school, you have to stay to do your homework right after school. You don't just go home. You have to stay to do your homework for the next day. That means tomorrow you don't have to worry about homework. You already do. You already done your homework today, hmm. this afternoon. And that day, my mom didn't think that I need to. I needed to stay to stay to school, and she came pick me up. She felt that she had to come pick me up and then she left work she came to my school and she picked me up i remember i i didn't ask i didn't ask her why she can pick me up i just jumped in the car and she dropped me off to my dad's orphanage because at the time my parents they own a few orphanages in haiti mm-hmm. and that's that's what i was doing in order for me to make some money working with my dad in his orphanage help the kids with their homeworks and i remember while i was in that orphanage I was in the bottom floor of three-story of building with 12 other kids. There was this little boy. He was standing next to me while the other 11 kids was in front of me. They were in front of me. We, we, were, all, we were talking. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I heard the building shaking. And I didn't know what was going on because at the time I was 16, I didn't know much about earthquake. I thought that was just something's going on outside. Yeah. And a few seconds, like few five seconds later, the earthquake happened and the building collapsed. Oh my goodness. On top of all of us. And I remember I heard people outside, the kids screaming. And I was so scared because I didn't know what was going on. And I remember the kids were crying, yelling. And that was it. That happened around 5, 5.30. And that's when I didn't know I was going to make it. And we spent, the, we spent the entire night under that building. And the next day, I heard my dad's voice. He was looking for me because he knew I was there. And my mom, I didn't, I didn't hear my mom because I've heard that my mom just left because she lost her mind. She thought I wasn't going to make it. And she lost her mind that night. And I heard my dad's voice. He came to look for us. He came with a bunch of friends. The toughest thing for my dad was he wasn't able to to hear me or know where I was because they were on top of me. There was no tractor, no equipment to get me out if they wanted to. And I was under that building. I was so tired I couldn't use my voice to even tell them that I could. I, I was there. Wow. And that, that happened the next day. And at the end of that day, uh, in, the, in the evening of the next day, I I remember the little boy was underneath me that was standing next to me when the before the earthquake happened. He kept asking me, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And I tell him, yes, we are going to make it. I had that strong feeling that, yes, we are going to make it. And... I I didn't know that we were going to make it. 
but I heard that. I had that feeling that we were going to make it. And I heard the other 11 kids stop screaming one by one because they were slowly dying. Oh, my goodness. And that that's when I I decided to say a prayer for the first time of my life. I I didn't know much about God because I grew up Catholic, but my relationship with God wasn't that strong. And for the first time of my life, I I felt that I needed to say a prayer because there was nothing else I could have, I, I I could do, and that was the only thing I felt that I needed to do. And I remember I said to God, "If you save me, if you save me, I'm going to serve you." And that was the only thing I remember I I said and I asked God, if you save me, I'm going to serve you. Wow. Williamson, when, when you're there and and you're under the building, have have there been other people on the second and third floors as well? So so were there other people who other than you fifteen who were on that, that main level? No, all the kids were on the bottom floor of three story of building. So we, we it's it, it's an orphanage, you know. We yeah. they they sleep on the third floor, mm. the second floor. That's where they eat, and that's where they eat. That's where they um they do some creation, and then the first floor, the bottom floor, the first floor. That's the administration, and the bottom floor. That's where we do homework. That's where we we get to relax, to spend time together. So everything everything that has collapsed above you is is building and rubble. And and what was it like? So were you? Um, did you guys have a little bit of space to move around? Were you? Um, were you pinned under yeah, something? Yeah, were you pinned, stuck, hurt, or or was it one of those situations where everything around you had collapsed and and there was just no way for you to get out? I felt the heavy things, like I could feel like the wall was on top of me. Wow. wow. And right after that prayer, that's when I. Wow. Um, okay. I yeah, we I felt that I felt that the wall was on top of me and I was so like my arm was like smashing because it was on under the under a bunch of blocks and I started crying and then it was so smashing so at the end it became so numb I couldn't feel it anymore. And did any of those, sorry, did any of those um, children survive? I heard them soft screaming one by one. And they all, oh. they all died. Yes. Wow. And what after I said a prayer, I felt someone on top of me. I didn't feel any heavy things anymore after, my, after that prayer. I felt an angel. Someone was on top of me. And that's when I had enough strength because... Before that, I couldn't even speak because I was facing the floor and it's like every single thing that was inside of me came out and stuck on my face and throwing up everything. And then right after the prayer, I felt someone was on top of me. That's when I had the strength to call out loud. And I remember I called out and I, I, I told them where I was. Like, I'm here, I'm here, guys. Can you hear me? Can you see me? And I say, my dad, dad, I'm here, I'm here. And they couldn't even hear me because I was on the bottom floor and they were on top of me. And I was yelling 
with all the energy of my heart, that's when they began to hear me. And I keep yelling. And they were able to really located where I was because I taught them where I was. And they tried to dig from outside of the building from the ground to come get me. And they couldn't get me because my arm was stuck, smashing under the rubble. And the guy who came to get me, he was stuck. That means they had to spend another couple hours to get him out instead of focusing on me. Hmm. And I, I was about to give up because he was stuck. He was the one coming to get me out. And they left me now. They are focusing on him. And I remember that moment. I, I was so thirsty, tired, hungry. And again, they send him back again. They get him out and they send him back again to tie a rope on my neck to get me out. But they couldn't get me out. Even they tied a rope on my neck because my right, my right arm was stuck. And they had to go digging another way, another part of the house to, to remove everything on top of my arm. Because, guys, like 90% of people that was under the building during the earthquake miss a part of the body. They become handicapped. I know like tons of my friends, they have to cut your arm or your mm-hmm. your leg. That's the best way for them to, to get, get you out. And, out. and there was no anesthesia. They have to do it in front mm-hmm. of you. I had this, I had two of my close friends. His name is Augustin and Michelle. They lost their leg. They lost their legs because they said, they, they handed me that, I don't want to use the word. They handed it to me so I can cut my leg by myself so I can get out. Oh, my goodness. So I, I, I they, they weren't able to do that to me. They just went and removed every single block, rocks, rubble on top of my arm to get me out. And what right after they rescued me and the little boy that was underneath me, I found out that when my mom came pick me up from my high school, my 25 classmates died during that earthquake. Wow. You, you would have been one of them if she hadn't picked you up. Yeah. Wow. Williamson, the, the survival aspect of this story is, um, is impactful uh, on a lot of different levels because most people will never know what that feeling is like um, to, to experience an earthquake around them the the loss of of friends uh and, and family and then the personal experience that you went through but but after that all happened and after um you are able to emerge from that time being trapped in there how did that change your perspective on life I mean, was it was it immediate that you adjusted some of your goals and knew some of the things you wanted to do, or did that take some time to settle on you of of what you wanted your life to look like from that point moving forward? That's a great question because I remember what right after the earthquake, I I I keep I keep thinking about the promise I made with God while I was under that building. If you save me, I am going to serve you. So right after the earthquake, we didn't have any water, any water, any food, nothing to survive. But for me, I felt that was the beginning of something greater, much better for my life. I felt that. 
I felt that was the beginning of something greater for my life. And that's when I decided to not only look for ways to serve God, but discover why I'm here. At such a young age, I I was looking I was looking for answer. I was I was on the journey to find the reason why I survived this earthquake. How old were you at that point? I was sixteen. Sixteen. Wow. And and so did you know uh, when you're having that conversation with yourself of wanting to discover why you're here? Um, how did that lead you? to to the United States what um yeah what what was that process like well i i, I didn't i didn't come to the united states until i was um let's say 18 because my my family we used to come visit united states before with my dad you know i as i told you before my dad won this big thing and changes middle class changes class to middle class right. and study outside of Haiti and he had a lot of connection with the largest nonprofit organization. So he was able to travel with us to New York, to Miami. And, but until I, I decided to, to really connect with other people. I remember I was living in a tent because my parents' house was destroyed during the earthquake. And while I was living in a tent, that's when I found this, wonderful friend will stop by and introduce himself to me and we get to know each other. He invited me to his congregation and I went and we started to meet with missionaries, learning about God and the Bible. And he introduced me to his church and I ended up becoming a member of his, of his church, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I... I joined the church, and then later on, I serve a full-time mission for the church. And those are ways that the Lord keeps using me to serve Him by keeping this promise. And I served my mission in Haiti for two years in 2013, 2015. Wow. So, yeah, I was able to serve God. But I remember throughout my time serving the Lord in Haiti, it was so refreshing to me that I was born to do something. Like my mission opened my eyes on, hey, there are greater things ahead of me right after that mission. And I I get to really understand the promise I make and how the Lord was using me to keep that promise or to fulfill that promise. So, and that's then incredible. I, yeah, I think after that's my... Sometime, sorry, I keep interrupting. Sometimes we um we make promises when we're on the verge of something bad happening and a lot of times we might forget those those promises that we make in those desperate moments but you didn't forget your promise you kept your promise and you continue to keep your promise which is wonderful yeah so not, not only that you know sometimes when the lord wanted to use you he will do whatever he wants whatever he can to t- to use you you know yeah and i truly believe that he wants to use all of us he wants to use wherever we are right now, whatever we're doing, the Lord want to, wants to use us. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. And I feel like he saved me for a reason because today I am not only have my dream on my shoulder. I have 25 and more dreams on my shoulders, my classmate dreams, because wow. I don't know why I was the only one 
only God knows, but I truly believe that I'm carrying the dreams of my classmates right now on my dream on my shoulders. Right. That's a that's a very humbling way to look at it when you look at the fact that you were the only one that lived. And and turning a little bit to your experience here, you have these dreams and you have this responsibility to serve God, this promise that you made. When you got to the US, what was life like when you got here? Were you able to go full speed forward right from the beginning or were there certain challenges that you had to overcome? What was that like when you first made it here to the US? Honestly, if I say it was easy, that would be the biggest lie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I choose to take my, my, my story as a survivor and create something out of my life. So when I came here, no matter what was going to happen to my life, I knew that I was ready for it, to conquer it. Yeah. And it, it wasn't easy. When I came here, I, I didn't know any English, no money to survive, no place to stay. I live at a friend house for a few months. And my my church leader invited me once to come live with him. And that's when I take my school very serious because I, I came here to, for school and I was working on my English. There was a test named TOEFL test called TOEFL test. I had to take that test in order for me to go to college. And I remember I, 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 was, I was doing everything harder and harder. I had to speak harder. I had to um, work harder. I had to connect with God harder because I didn't have any family when I came to Utah. And I remember I, I, I was relying on my mom to keep sending me 160 US dollars every time I thought I was waiting for the test. And every time I take the test, I failed that English test wow. after paying, yeah, after paying one hundred and sixty dollars, and after failing five times, I decided to move back to Haiti. Oh wow! Because there was no way I was gonna stay here illegal. I wanna stay legal. Right. And, and I decided to go and move to Haiti. And while I was in Haiti, I didn't give up. I kept studying English like no one else. And and I remember I was I knew I was waiting for that English test. And I went in a place in Haiti and I took that test and I was able to come here and go to college. And yeah, that's when I knew that the English was my barrier. And if I can take that test, I will be able to make something out of my life. We all have some barrier in our life. You know, we, some, some of them, we don't want to face them. Some of them, we feel like if we face them, our life might be end. I was willing to do what it takes to take that English test because I knew there's something here in, the, on, in this land that I needed that can carry me wherever I want in my life or where God, God wanted me to be. Williamson, when I hear you say that you took that test five times and then went back home, um, and, and I know the context is that your family is, is at this point in, a middle, in the, the middle class and not where your dad started, but to go from where your dad was, living on 30 cents or 50 cents a day to a, a place where, you know, that's $800, so, you know, ne nearly $1,000 have, have been invested by your parents into you taking that test. I can only imagine the pressure you were putting on yourself to not fail at that point. Was 
was that do you feel like the pressure was greater because you were carrying the dreams of your friends who who had passed away or do you feel like um it was helpful for you to have them in mind and to have that promise that you made to God in mind as you continued to study and take that test over and over? I feel like I wasn't alone. I never felt a moment of my life coming here that I was alone. I always felt that I surrounded, you know, and I was frustrated, of course. I was mad at myself, at God, at every at everything around me because why I'm, I keep failing this test and Universe, God, like myself, know that I needed that test, you know, and but I I understand that things do really happen for a reason, and I had to know the value of failing that test to understand that value of failing that test in order for me to really create opportunity while I'm here, because if I didn't fail that test. I could have never been able to be where I am today or to know that the beauty of keep going or consistency because even if I failed that test 20 times, I was still going to take it 21st time. Wow. That's a great perspective, I think, of, of recognizing the value of failure. And some I think that so many other people may have just given up at that point and thought, well... It didn't work out. But, you know, I think that that's such a valuable perspective that now you're bringing to those that you mentor, which is such a wonderful thing. Um, I love that you now mentor other youth here in the U.S. as well as in Haiti. You were able to found an organization called Arise Project for Humanity. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that organization was born? How, how did that come to be? And what was it like at the very beginning? How did you how did you build that from nothing? Yeah, I've always wanted to help my country, you know, to help Haiti because I growing up have seen my parents, they own a few orphanages, they're serving the people, feeding the the kids in the street, try to try to really make a difference. And but I've never I I've never seen like something concrete happen. And I I realized that I needed to do something. And the more I kept thinking about why I survived this earthquake, and the more I began to understand that my life has a purpose. And one of it is to help my people. Because I rise from the rubble, but today we have millions of Haitians that are still buried under the rubble. Robber of self-doubt, sex trafficking, exploitations, abuse, like all kind of robber you can think of, their circumstances, their current situation, poverty, hungry, like those are robber, corruption, lack of leaderships, those are robber. And I've always wanted to do something. And what I realized is throughout my life in Utah, I had such great mentors around me, people that helped me discover my power, potential, gifts, and talents I've been given by God, and I was able to implement those into actions to create something out of my life. I I made sacrifices, sacrifices to even spend one year without eating lunch so I can save enough money to start my first tree company, wow. and sacrifices to to 
go to school and not worry about what's gonna happen if I don't if I don't have I remember I had to bike every single day in the snow from 39 South to University of Utah to go to the Institute oh. in the snow oh my goodness but like bike use my bike because I didn't have money for bus I didn't have money for train and someone gave me a bike one day and I thought wow you give me like a treasure when where did you find that treasure and they said I've seen you walking every day to go to the institute to go to the temple we want to get to give you that bike and all of these just come together to show me that hey you're the only Haitian here right now. I know there are tons of other Haitians, but I'm talking about in that moment. Right. That might be the only Haitian right now who's riding a bike in the snow. So I learned so many great things here in Utah that I wanted to share to my people. And that was the only way I think I can help this country. And that's when I started this organization called Arise. Arise. It's just an invitation to invite my people to rise up, to arise Arise from your circumstances, arise from doubts, arise from your beliefs. And when I started these organizations, I really don't know, didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. But I do, I did know that I wanted to teach Haitians that they can become a victor, not a victim. They can be the maker of their own destiny. They can create something out of their life. But most importantly, to teach them that they've been given gifts and talents from God that they haven't been using and they needed to use that right now. Do you have any specific things that you're hoping come out of that after after you teach them that? Or are there things that you're saying, I'm teaching you this so that you can blank in your life? Or, or yeah, do you like, just trust that they will do good from that point? No, like right now, we are teaching them basic principles, like principles that will really help them get out of poverty. Because I do believe that poverty is first came, for, came from your mindset. You know, it's a mindset Absolutely. thing. First. It's not that you don't have money because I didn't have money, but I knew that I had greatness upon me. And I didn't have money, but I knew that I was worthy of all the great blessing that the Lord has in store for each of each one of us. And... Some of the principles we are teaching the Haitians right now are keys that will help them change their mindset to believe in themselves, to know that instead of waiting for the country to help them, they can create something for their life. And to teach them that they can be the difference. They to to help them be the first the next the next president, create wonderful, worthy, honest leaders in Haiti. So those are the principles like believe in yourself, the power of vision boards, honesty, taking responsibilities, affirmations. Those are the principles we are teaching right now in the mentoring program. And today we have over 310 mentors across Haiti. Oh, wow. Those are young Haitian leaders that are empowering young people from their communities. That's incredible. And this has gotten bigger than you probably even imagined what six years ago when you was it six years ago that you started the organization yeah. yes and, and just last year you were one of the winners of the what is it called the mars 
The Marsh Shot Marsh by Shot. Kevin Hart. Will you tell us a little bit ab- about that and, and some of the key people who were involved in this competition that you get to work with now? Um, yeah, working with Kevin Hart with um, <laughs> U- UAE and Dubai, working with um, Jay Shady. He's, he has a new book called um, Think Like a Monk. Oh. And... and Working with um, Venice Brown, Justin Timberlake, manager, and so many other people, wonderful people that the Lord has put in my path. Wow. And I, yeah, I was part of that. One day, one morning, I was watching Instagram. By the way, on my Instagram, I only follow people that can empower me, like, I mean, really empower me. Mm-hmm. And not people that will post something, but people that I can see that they live in what they say. And I might have, like, if five people follow me, I will have. If 500 people follow me, I can follow maybe five people or three people, just an example. Yeah. And it's really not about the the numbers, it's about the quality of what I want to learn on that. And I follow Kevin Hart, even though he doesn't have a clean language, but he's like, <laughs> he's, he's powerful. He He's like, he, he values families, you know, he loves his family. And I think, wow. I should follow a guy who value families. That's that's my number one thing too. Yeah. And one day he posted a video how him and the people in Dubai they all they wanted to make people's dream come true. They're looking for three finalists. And he invited people all across the world to make a one minute video to share their dream and why they need to support them. And that moment I just go upstairs, I wash my face, I put a new shirt and I put my Arise hat and I make a one minute video. And in that video, I tell them my dream is to build the first mentoring center in the Caribbean, a place that will create champ- champion, change makers, a place where young people will never live the way they came. And I tell them, I am the guy you're looking for, Kevin Hart, and I'm going to be the most shot this year. And I finished that video. I sent it. And a few months later, they tagged me. I was part of the 15 finalists. They invited people to vote for me. Over 2.3 million people voted for me, and I was part of the five finalists. We had a few interviews, and I was part of the. I became part of the three finalists to be able to help make dream come true. Still, now we're working with them to finalize everything. But you know, it's it's never that they wanted my dream to come true. It's the fact that they were able to take my dream and introduce my dream to the world, because now. Every single Haitians in the diaspora who lives outside of Haiti and those in Haiti, they are aware of what I'm doing, you know, through Marshat. I feel like no matter what happened with Marshat, even if they help me build this mentoring center or not, somebody helps will help me build this mentoring center. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, Williamson, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm <laughs> giddy for you, ma'am, because I, I hear you talk about, you know, nearly being pulled out of, of earthquake rubble by your neck, n- nearly losing an arm, n- taking a test you say you, you could have failed 20 times and you would have taken it at a 21st. And in this moment, you watch one video and you immediately, that's what I got to do. And then you go and do it. And if that hadn't worked, I immediately thought to myself, I, I didn't know that it, it, it worked you know, on that first time. But you could have said I did it you know, three years in a row and I wouldn't have been surprised because that's the kind of of energy that you bring no hesitation just do it this is this is what i i i feel like that is what i need to do i'm going to go do it and and so 
frequently we see in the world today people who see an opportunity but they want to wait a little i need to i need to plan a little bit i'm going to i'm going to wait just a few minutes i'm going to think about this a little bit longer um is that uh is that just something that comes naturally to you is that something that you had to learn to embrace to to just jump in and and take that chance immediately well i always believe if something if if something come on my way it's my call you know if something call, come on my way if if i see something on my way it's my call hmm. and and cuz there are there are opportunities all over us. That's one thing I I, I, I I was able to do when I came to Utah. I when I came to Utah I saw so many opportunities. I knew I had to do something with them. I knew I had to help my country. Because guys, I, I I'm I want I want people to understand how blessed we are for being here to live in a in a country where guys we don't we don't have to work we we, ha- we work hard. I know that we work to we work to maybe purchase a bigger house, work to pay taxes, to save money, travel with family, um, um, like fix your house, like take your kids somewhere. But Haitians are working to survive. Just to survive. They're not even, yeah. yeah, they're not even working to just, to just, to just add a new furniture on the house. They're just working to survive. Yeah. Like, like they're not even working to just. Go to DI and buy shoes for five dollars. Mm-hmm. They're working to survive. Like when I came here, guys, I still now I'm so blessed. And by the way, guys, I, I didn't mention that. I, I I want everyone to know that I will never be where I am today without my beautiful wife. Oh yeah, she's the love. She's the love of my life and the life of my love. And oh. and and without my wife, I could never be where I am today. She was the one when. When I felt like I didn't deserve something, she said, honey, you deserve it and you can do it because life hasn't been easy, you know, and throughout things, toughest time, even this year, last year, like toughest, toughest year of my life. And like, she's the, she's the, the, the bridge, the, the backbones, the reason, the why, the friend, the mentor, the counselor, like, like, I'm not saying that to just say that like she is like the one who helped me to be where I am today and without her my life would, would be horrible that's incredible I was going to ask you to tell us a little bit about about her and the role that she plays and and I was just seeing on your website that she is a part of your organization she works along with you which I think is wonderful I think it's so wonderful that she is there with you, side by side with you, working to to help you reach these goals and these dreams. And and that's so valuable as you show your three children, right? You have three children now? Yes. That's such a wonderful example for them to show them, you know, and what what is what would you say is the one thing that you would want to teach your three children from all of this? Oh, that's a good, good question. Well, I will tell them to believe in themselves. Yeah. Believe in yourself because it's, 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 it's general. Believe in yourself. Believe that you can be a good husband. Believe that you are a good husband. Believe that your, 
who you are is accepted to God and believe that you can make a difference, believe that you you're a success magnet, believe that you you're created to do great things, believe that you can do great things with what you have and where you are. And yeah, I just want my kids to believe in themselves because they are going to face tons of things in 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 life. But I know that I don't have to worry about that because they will believe that they know who they are and nothing will stop them from accomplishing things they were created to do. Williams, and there are so many people that talk about believing in themselves and then sit in front of a TV or, or a video game console or on a phone. And how how do you think you can help? I mean, your example for sure but is there anything that you will teach them um, that you will go out of your way to teach them to say it's not just about believing yourself, but here's how you put in the work to then become that thing that you believe you can become? Yeah, um, there is something I live by. I live by um, my affirmations, you know, and like my kids, before the, before we put them to bed, we brush their teeth and have them look themselves in the mirror and keep telling themselves who they are because... There are things you put, you tell yourself, it's like, excuse me, it's like planting a seed. So I I get to tell myself every single morning how great I am, how wonderful I am, how, how, how kind I am and how powerful I am because those are the only thing that I truly believe that I can plant. And because there will be time where people will tell you things that you're not and they wanted you to believe that and the only thing that can save you is the thing you told yourself five years ago that have been planted that have been planted within you so I feel like for me it's all about affirmations what I tell myself who I tell myself I am because the world wants you to see yourself the way they want you to see it not the way you should be able to see yourself as God wanted you to see it All of those things that the, the, all of those affirmations are internal characteristics that um, have external actions that come with them. But one of the characteristics that is innately a part of you, which is different from a lot of the people around you, is the fact that your your skin color is black. And you've talked about how you see your color as being a privilege and a strength to you. Why do you feel um why why do you feel that way? What how do you feel that has influenced you and in, in the things that you have, have done and attempted to do in your life? Cause I, I, I feel like my color makes me work harder, you know? My color makes me love myself harder and more. My color makes me um get into myself more because I I need to see it differently in order for me to survive in this world. If I see it the way I'm hearing from the other people, then I won't be able to survive. So the best way for me to survive in this world, I need to learn about who I am, my color, to work harder to get to know my color, the beauty of it, the reason why I, I have that. And I feel like my color, yes, it's, it's my greatest blessing because I've been through so much because of my color, who helps me understand who I really am. Wow. 
That's such a beautiful sentiment. I, I love the way that, I love the perspective you have on so many of these things that we've talked about. And I know that this, this past year, there has been so much, um, racial tension and, um, and I love, I love that you, your sentiment is that this, the color of your skin is a strength. Um, but there have been so many hard things to watch other, other people go through. And I'm wondering if those are, if you've experienced some of those things here in Utah, have you experienced, um, racial, you know, that we, we see lots of things about the police and we see lots of, um, lots of really sad stories. And I'm wondering if things like that have happened to you here in Utah. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I truly believe that I'm not talking about all black, but the one that I know, yeah. all of the, all of the one that I know, they've been through things, you know, because yeah. the racism they're talking about, it's not that people are racist. It's that, it's not that um, people are racist, like racist, racist. It's that people, um, um, because my life has been saved by white people. You know, when I came here, my bishop was white, you know, people would let me come in. They were white, you know, yeah. but at the same times, we gotta, we gotta know that there are things that we need to work on. And, and like, it's sad to say that, but racism most of the time came from people around you, your family members, your in-laws, your, your, your in-laws, your close, your close people. Yeah. Cause you get to be around them more than other people. You know what I mean? And, and it's sad because, because you have to, you have to keep proving yourself nonstop. As a black people, you have to work harder. You have to work harder to even earn this little basic respect that they're giving to everybody without working for. But you have to work so hard for this mm. basic because respect. Because of basic. your skin color. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, for example, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Guys, I always worry. For example, if if my wife has, like, a mark on her skin, I'm, like, so, like, trouble Because I don't want maybe... Her parents might say, hey, did your husband beat you? Mm. Or maybe her friend might say, hey, what happened? Like, even my kids, if my kids fall in the house and they got hurt, I'm like, wow, I'm troubled because I'm like, I don't want people to think that I'm beating my kids because yeah. they know that they, her husband's black and their dad's black. Like, and I don't, because most people, the first thing they see, they think black or abuse people, black or, mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you guys, I'm, I'm a good father. I'm 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 a wonderful father. I'm not saying that in a prideful way. I'm saying that in 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 a humble way because yeah. I would die for this family of mine. I will do anything it takes for my family, my kids, my wife. Those are those are those people are above beyond love. Like like I'm because of my skin color, I have to like trouble for every every little thing because you keep proving yourself and and you feel like no matter what you do, you still have to do more for some people to really feel like wow. And yeah, it's sad, but you know, you know, I there are things you will never be able to change. And there are people you will never be able to fix their their thing. At the end of the day, the only thing you can really do 
is to love your family like your little corner, your wife, your kids, this little corner. Because like fighting with people to treat you better, some of them will never treat you better. Why? Because they will never understand you. And they will always think that he's been playing the victim game or he's been playing the race game. I'm not. And we are not. We are just... We all just wanted you to hear us, hear that something's going on with me. Can you just hear me? That's what we are trying to do. And I, I truly, because, because I'm going to be honest, white people started that, that race thing. Mm-hmm. They started, started treating us this way. And we, 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 we wanted to, to treat differently because we've seen how people treat people and I gotta be treated differently like when you say for example I, I admire the the officers the police because those are some of my heroes I work with them but there are times where I I've been in situation one of them was I remember I was in a park supporting my little brother and by the way I'm not sure in any of this experience just to bring drama just to show you how much of a difference this makes when you were white people. Yes, I think it's important. So yes, please continue. I think it's I important was, to hear your perspective. I had a little brother. He's in school here in Utah. He's in high school. He's in tracks. I always there to support him. And you know, we, we as black people, when we're supporting people, we, we yell a little bit just to say, keep going, keep going. <laughs> like you're making some voice, you know, because you feel like I'm on the field. It's me. And I remember I was just like chewing for my little brother. And because I was chewing for my little brother, this lady maybe called cops. Maybe it, oh. I don't know how she did that. She she just kept a little bit and she make a call, and the cops came and said, "This lady say you have a gun on you." Oh. And then and then, but the sick the thing is, I always tell my wife, my beautiful white wife. And by the way, if any black queen are listening to me, I know you queen and your blood is speaking not because you're not white. I'm just sharing why. Married white people saved me so many times. And all my queens, all my black sisters were listening. I admire you. You're the queen. You're the queen of the kingdom. So I was there. And I always say something to my wife. If I share my location with you, that means I'm dealing with cops. Oh, wow. And the moment the cops is coming, I took my phone. I share my location. Beam to my wife. And then a few minutes later, she came to that spot. And while I was dealing with the cops, he said, yeah, the lady said, you have a gun on you. Let me check on you. Um, 21, put yourself on the car. And then my wife said, he's my husband. He's my husband. Hey, hey, hey. And then the cops said, no, we weren't doing anything. I was just want to make sure that if he has anything we can help him with. I said, no, that's not it. You asked me if I have a gun on me. And now you tell my wife, you ask me how you can help me. That's not the conversation before my wife came here. And just to show you how, how much of a difference, like I've seen, I've seen how Cap was treating black people while I was driving with my wife. And I said, honey, can you please go over there and talk to the cops? Because once they see you, things will change. Right. And they see my wife, they saw her and things really change. Yeah. Just to share with you that, that I understand there are great people on both sides. They are yeah. like negative people on both sides. Right. But for me personally, I've been through things that I shouldn't have to fight for equality, 
even even inside of family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to fight because you're the only the only black son-in-law that you're fighting for equality and family. You shouldn't have to fight for those things. And by the way, I'm on a podcast, which I'm fine. Anything I say, <laughs> I stand behind it. You know, and and you shouldn't have to fight for for your color when you know that your kids will be people's great kids. Because what I'm fighting for, it's not for me. It's that I don't want my kids to go through that. Like, because personally, guys, I could have dealt with so many things. But the fact that I'm raising children, half black children, those are the one I'm fighting for. Those, those are the one I'm speaking for. Right. Because it should be a time where your kids can just look at my kids for who they are, not for the color of their skin. And if we don't start having this conversation right now, how can you, how can your kids, will we, know, will we remember the great things you taught them about people of color? Yeah. We need to talk about the elephant because there's elephant in, in, in every room. And this last year hasn't been easy. And I feel like a lot of family could be stronger if they were able to listen to each other. Instead of thinking it's a it's a race game because it's not a race game. Yeah. I've been in the U.S. for six years. I'd never get a ticket, you know. And even though I never get a ticket, but I know why I never get a ticket. Not because I don't drive bad, but because I'm always the one who says sorry way before they stop me. Even I wasn't driving fast, and I always the one putting my I always put my wallet out way on the dashboard before they even ask me to. I always I always pull over when I see them behind me so I can let them go so I don't have to deal with them in my mind. I always try to be careful. That's why. Yeah. Not because yeah. I was better than other black people. I feel like and at the end like I said, it's 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 really it's really something that we can fix. We can we can go we can go above that because we we can. I truly believe we can. I truly believe that we all are great people. We are great people. We are good people. And we can do better because we are good people. Yeah. Yep. I think what you said is so important that when you said just hear us, I feel like that is the key is if we can listen, that's when things will begin to change. If we can, as as white people, not be defensive and just listen, I think that that is is really a big key. And so I'm, we are both so grateful that you were willing to come on to this podcast and tell us your experience, because there have been many hard things, and yet you're willing to share those things with us and share your perspective with us. Um, and I think that that's so valuable. So thank you very much. And uh, at the end of every interview, we like to ask a, a question. Um, our organization is called Operation Amigos. Amigos means friends in Spanish. And so, Williamson, as a Haitian, as a black man, as an immigrant, what would you say is one thing people can do to be a better amigo to you and to others who are like you? The one thing I will say is to be the difference because a lot of them, they want to make a difference. They really want to make a difference. 
But before we make a difference, we got to be the difference. I would say everyone to be, be, be the difference. That's a great thought. That is a great thought because as you were talking about stereotypes, sometimes rule. And if the difference can be, don't believe that stereotype. Give someone the benefit of the doubt. Be a friend before you, you know, suspect people. I think that that can make a really big difference. And each of us can be the difference. So, Williamson, thank you so much for telling us your story. Thank you for being here. Thank you for marrying a white woman and having three beautiful <laughs> children and for oh, yeah. for being part of our community here in Utah. I, my, I am my, very... My <laughs> she's my greatest gift. You know, she's yes. the love of my life and the life of my love. I, 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 I mean it. And I, I have this carry in my heart so deep. And yeah, love my wife. Williamson, if people want to, to follow your story, where where can they see what you're up to now and, and what you have um, coming in the future? Well, I by the way, I wanna I wanna thank Megan. She's 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 a ghost writer. She's the one writing my book together with me. All right. Horizon from the rubble coming coming this this fall, the beginning of the fall or the middle of the fall. And we're still working hard to see how we can finish that pretty soon yeah. but yeah i i will say people just follow the cause arise project for humanity.com arise project for humanity that's the name of my organization and of course keep your eyes on amazon for the book rising yeah. from the rubble and as i know as i just said um megan megan is the one who's helping me to write this book so i'm super excited that's it's the way you can keep great. in touch it's going to be an amazing, yeah. powerful book that will help lots of people. Definitely. Definitely. Williamson, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you for all the hard work that you're putting in. Thank you for being that difference that you encourage others to be. It's been great. Oh, no, thank you. you. Thank you. Your family is so precious. And thanks for all you guys do. You, you're not just doing a podcast. You're just changing lives, you know, because... Um, some of the question you asked me why here I will never share it to anybody because who do I know who do I have to share it with because yeah. you know sometimes you feel like wow no one will ever not that they not you just feel that because they haven't been there and I'm so grateful that you guys were so inspired to have me on and ask me some of these questions and thank you so much oh we're thrilled thank you very much and give your wife and your kids a hug for us and one day when COVID is over we would love to meet you in person and hug you all oh definitely <laughs> definitely thank you for joining us for another episode of the operation amigos podcast we will see you next time <laughs>